I'm going to read our, the main part of our text for this morning, which comes from 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 8 through 16. Then the word of the Lord came to him, to Elijah, saying, Go now to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and live there, for I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he set out and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the town, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water and a vessel so that I might drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. But she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of meal in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I am now gathering a couple of sticks so that I may go home and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not be afraid. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterwards make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, The jar of meal will not be emptied, and the jug of oil will not fail until the day that the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went and did as Elijah said, so that she as well as he and her household ate for many days. And the jar of meal was not emptied, neither did the jug of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord that he had spoken by Elijah. The word of the Lord. Now, we are working through a series about being satisfied, and I know that we just have to name out loud that we do not naturally feel satisfied very often. There's something in us that is always longing for that next thing, longing for something else in our life. And it might be financial, like if I just got this much raised, this is what would make a difference, and I'd be set if just that much. Maybe it's I need that thing, that new cell phone, the, the new car. Maybe it's, you know, I really need like one more best friend, or I really need one more relationship, or whatever it is. We, we all long for something. And our story today revolves around food and, and famine and and feasting, and, and I was thinking about the fact that we are in an interesting environment for thinking about famines, because if there's a famine in the world, we are some of the last people who would probably experience that. Uh, our, our country allows us a lot of buying power, we have a lot of resources, um, but yet even within our context in which things come a little bit easier than it does to some other places in the world, we still know what it's like to feel a little bit of the crunch because we kind of keep living through recessions that we keep having more fancy terms for, for what exact type of recessions, but, but we just made it through a global pandemic, and suddenly prices are not stable. If you work in tech industry right now, there's tons and tons of layoffs, uh, but it, you don't have to go that further back from the pandemic to getting to housing markets crashing and, and all sorts of financial stress. And for a lot of young people, they've kind of grown into an environment in which they've taken on tons of debts because society has said, here's what you need to, to get ahead and have, a, have the right kind of job that you want, and, and here's the burden that comes with that. And so we know a little bit of what it's like to, to be in the midst of a little bit of a famine, but not to the extent of the people in our story today. And so I want to tell a story, and it's a, it's a longer story than just the verses that we read. And it's kind of the prequel for people, if you grew up in church, you probably heard a story about Elijah calling down fire on a mountaintop, him versus some other prophets. 
and him mocking the other prophets of like, hey, is your God asleep or not? And, and, and Elijah's pretty confident in that story. And he's throwing water over the, his sacrifice saying, ah, you should see what my God can do. But that's actually the culmination of a story that begins at the end of chapter 17 and includes, uh, and at the end of, sorry, the end of 16, beginning of 17. And so we need to know one thing of context before we get into this main story that we're reading. Now, the book of 1 Kings has a lot of stories about here's the king of Israel, here's the king of Judah. Now, there's a specific king named at the end of chapter 16. It says that in the 38th year of King Asa of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, began to reign over Israel. Ahab, son of Omri, reigned over Israel and Samaria for 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. I realize we just got out of an election cycle, but it's always been rough. <laughs> we always act like our problems are, are new problems. This writer in 1 Kings is like, let me tell you, the worst king is Ahab. Without a doubt, if you want to pick a worst king, here it is, Ahab. I want it written down so everybody remembers Ahab was awful. And he's awful for 22 years. It's a reminder that kings don't have term limits. His reign lasts until he doesn't last. And he is chastised because um, the Bible has a really interesting, easy metric for if the northern kingdom of Israel is faithful or not, and if their kings are good or not. And it's simply about worship. They are concerned with, are you sending people to Jerusalem to the temple or not? And the northern kings often built sites where you could worship elsewhere, and Judah did not like that. And we are reading the Jude Judean perspective on those kings. But it's, it's worse than that for Ahab. Uh, it does not say that he just allowed worship of other gods, like Baal, but that he actually actively creates shrines, that he actively worships other gods. And so he's seen as betraying the faith of his people and betraying their god. And so you might wonder if you were alive in his era of if this king is so bad, why does he get 22 years of being so bad? God, why, why is he this way? Why can't things be different? And so 1 Kings 17 begins with the introduction of Elijah, kind of the superhero prophet. Like, man, if you could be like Elijah. And they're still like, man, I want Elijah to come back, right? And so Elijah is one of the most popular prophets in the Bible. And he shows up in the story with a message that none of you want to be the person to deliver. He walks up to the king of Israel, the one with all power in that region, and says, guess what? Famine is coming. It's not going to rain again until I say so. And maybe Ahab laughs him off, because he's not really on God's team. It's like, I know who controls the weather. I'm not listening to you, Elijah. And so Elijah has to do that challenging task. I don't know about you, I don't want to be the person to bring the bad news. And so Elijah's first prophetic activity is to show up and say, famine. And the, the interesting instructions God gives him after that is, go to the wilderness, the birds are going to feed you. And there's a lot of smart wisdom there, because if you don't flee, Ahab's going to come looking for you. You said that when the famine's over, you're going to say so. Well, 
I can't find Elijah. Where on earth did he go? And so he, he wanders off to the stream that's on, near the Jordan River, and God says for the birds, they're going to take care of you. And so we have the story of Elijah sitting next to the river, and the birds keep bringing him food, and he's got the, this riverbed to, to drink water from, and he survives there for some time. But eventually, the river, as wadis do, it's called a wadi, that, that river dries up. There's no more water. And you're like, okay, I've got to find a new plan. And you know, if it's drying up for him, it's drying up other places too. And so God sends Elijah to Zarephath, to Sidon. He sends him to a foreign land, to the Phoenicians. And there's a little bit of irony in this story, a little bit like if you know the book of Ruth, you have a story where this family leaves Israel to go to a foreign land, to Moab, to find bread. And they were from Bethlehem, the house of bread, is the literal translation of Bethlehem, and they have to flee to find food in another country. And so we're seeing a little bit of this, this punishment of Israel has been unfaithful, and Elijah must go to a foreign land to have a chance to get some food. And so Elijah shows up, and God says, hey, there's a there's a, a widow who's going to take care of you and will feed you. And that's already weird instructions because the Bible is almost most pronounced of who should we take care of as a people, widows and orphans. They're the ones who most need your protection, who most need your support. And Elijah is sent and said, hey, a widow is going to be the one who takes care of you which sets us up for the unusualness of this story. A widow from a foreign land. And so Elijah goes, and he sees a widow gathering sticks. And this might seem just an everyday occurrence in this culture, or you're going to make a fire somewhere, or she's gathering sticks, but you don't know yet her full story of what she's planned for this day. And so Elijah says to her, can you bring me a little water and a vessel so that I might drink? And it says, as she was going to bring it, he's going to ask her for something else. But he says, hey, can, you, can I have some water? And she's going to help him get this water. And we'll learn more of why that's already quite marvelous on her part with what's going on in her life. But at this time, if there's in the middle of a famine, water is a scarcity. It's not a given. And so he shows up parched saying, I need some water. Can you get me some water? And she doesn't decline him. He's a foreigner to her. You're not from here. You know, we're rationing this stuff. You don't get any. Sorry. Who are you? Why are you talking to me? But without any words in the text, she's going to go get him some water. And then Elijah has the goal to ask for more. Because it's like, okay, she's already helping you. But in the middle of her going to bring the water, he calls to her and says, hey, can you bring me a morsel of bread? Get a little bit of bread. I'm not asking for a lot of bread. Can I just have a little bit of bread? you got any food on you? And so I don't know what this woman must be thinking of, like, where are these requests going to stop? You know, of like, okay, you've asked me for water. I'm, I haven't even got you the water yet. You're already asking me for some food. Who are you? And this is the moment that what she's carrying with her, yeah, she's grabbing some sticks, 
But the emotions and the problems that she's walking and carrying that load of, she's going to unload in this moment. And she says, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of meal in a jar and a little oil in a jug. She says, hey, I'm out of everything. I've, I'm almost out. I've, I've got nothing really left, just a tiny, tiny bit. Because what I'm doing right now, what you caught me in the middle of, was I'm gathering a couple of sticks so that I might go home and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. So she's saying, you caught me preparing my last meal. Like, I don't even need a bunch of sticks. I'm not cooking a lot. I just need a couple of sticks, just a little bit of something. And I got a little bit of flour, a little tiny bit of oil. We're about to die. We just want to go have our final meal. Do you really want to disturb? Like, I can't give you anything. I, I don't even have enough to survive on. We're about to die. And I love that she calls out the Lord your God. She says, as the Lord your God lives, I have very little left. Now, that's important because she's not from Israel. The Lord is not her God. It's the Lord your God. And when Elijah told Ahab there was going to be a famine... Elijah began with, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And so as the Lord your God lives is powerful in this text because it is also a pronouncement of famine and here, the results of that famine. As your God lives, I have very little, nothing left. And this is a reminder that famine has felt different. Not everybody experiences it the same. When famine comes for a kingdom, the king can keep increasing taxes and keep extracting as much as he can until there's nothing left. But what is the widow supposed to do? You know, I, there's barely any water. There's barely any food. The widows, the orphans, the, those with the least are the ones who are going to experience this pain the most. And we know that it's true in our own era that, you know, we talk about our own global crises and, and you get people that, you know, companies can start to go bankrupt and yet the executives can walk out with a big bonus somehow and, and feel like, okay, everything made it okay for me. And everybody else feels the pain of being stretched too thin. And so Ahab could be someone who lusts after the powers of other gods Say, so, oh, I, I want a little bit more. I want to expand my kingdom. I want to go and find new power, new opportunities. And his desire for reaching for more and more and more keeps pulling everything from those on, with the least in society. And so this woman has laid it on the table. You've asked too much of me is what she's saying. How can I give you a little bit of food? I, I'm going to my last meal. And it's in this that the text becomes quite startling. It's, it's unusual to our way of being. Elijah says, do not be afraid. Easier said than done. If you feel like you're on your last meal, do not be afraid. 
Well, how do I live that? How do I fully embrace this? Hey, don't worry about it. What do you mean, don't worry about it? Don't be afraid of it. For so many of us, when we are facing desperation, we're facing the end, we're facing scarcity, our lives become an anxiety, fearful experience of just, I think I'm going to run out, I think I'm going to run out, I think I'm going to run out. And Elijah's thing is first, breathe, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. Go and do as you've said, but first, make me a little cake and bring it to me. And afterwards, make something for yourself and your son. This is the weirdest part of the text, because we all know the people who have abused this kind of story. We know the people who've tried to take the last dollar from every widow, saying, hey, you know, I really need a private jet. Why don't you give to me and God will bless you? Don't worry about it. Just give me that last dollar. And we've experienced the people who say they are men of God, who have tried to manipulate and rob us of the power that is in this text. Because there is something that is creating faith to say, I want you to try this. If you want to not be afraid, I want you to take a leap of faith. First, make my food item, and then trust there's going to be enough that you're going to be able to make more for yourself and your son. And it's this invitation to faith. Because if it's saying, hey, don't worry about it. Here, I, tr- I promise you, make yourself a meal, and then you'll realize that you have enough, and then make me something. That wouldn't make you take that leap of faith out there into trust. So say, hey, first, make it for me, and I need you to believe me. There's going to be more. And in that, he invites her to live a different way. To live not by scarcity standards, but to live out of abundance when it doesn't seem logical or reasonable to ever live that way. So first, don't be afraid. And then I love that he says, hey, you can still do as you wish here, but just trust me, before you get to that, try this. So yeah, you can go make that last meal. You can feel like you're going to go and die, but, but I just need you to try something for me. Don't be afraid make something for me first. And so he invites this woman into a different way of living. And he says, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of meal, the jar of flour will not be emptied. The jug of oil will not fail until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. I love the beauty of this. That We we might focus on the miracle side, which is just that this thing's not going to run out. It doesn't actually say that it won't ever run out. It says it won't run out until the day God sends rain. That there will be another route, another possibility, another door that will open. But until that day happens, this isn't going to run out. And so so many of us are like, hey, if I've got the magic pot that always has enough food, I don't want that to ever run out. But it could be... Uh, the supernatural, amazing, great thing. But at some point, you've got to be able to let go and say, it's not about this thing. This thing isn't the magic. God will provide. And God might change where God will bring that blessing from. But I have to trust in God, not the magic jar. And it's easy to get our eyes turned onto the magic jar. 
Like, hey, you know, our faith is centered around this magic jar. It's been really great for us, and I don't want to ever lose it. But some, at some point, that jar might run empty, but it's not because God has run empty, but God is making another way. And so Elijah invites her to say, okay, you, you think you're going to go and die. Just trust me, please. Don't be afraid. Make me some food. Then make some for yourself, your son, and then you will realize and experience that this isn't going to run out. And it will not run out until you see the day that the rain comes. So you're going to see blessings coming in some other way, and then you're going to go, ah, now. Now it's time for something else. And so Elijah goes on to say, or the, the writer says, that the woman then went and did as Elijah said. And that's a few words that have a lot of power. Because for so many of us, it's so hard to actually live out that faith. You're invited to something uh, supernatural that invites you to live out in faith, but to go out and actually do it, and not just think about it. And so she did, and she went, and it all went as he said. And he ate, and her household ate, it said, for many days. The jar of meal was not emptied, neither did the jug of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. That word of the Lord, that God is speaking, and God is speaking blessings, but also pronouncements of famine. You're like, what kind of God is this? Like, can't you just pronounce only the feasts? Like, why, why is there any famine in the story? Why can't we just have only abundance? But we have three characters, at least in this story, who are experiencing something different, who are working and learning something different, and that maybe we might be invited into in the story. And so some of us need to take the, un, uh, the unpleasant task of saying, am I Ahab in the story? Is it possible that I've been lusting and thirsting after something else? beyond the bounds of what God has invited me into. God has brought certain blessings, but I keep wanting something that's just outside of my grasp. And I just, I keep living my life thinking, if I can just acquire enough, if I can just reach out and get a little bit more. And as you try to reach out and get more and more and more, you don't realize that you haven't become satisfied. It hasn't actually healed what's broken or what needs mending in your life. All it does is just end up leaving a pile of, of, of debris of people who, who are broken because you've been extracting everything and you've been, been harming people on your pursuit of more. And so we live in an era where it, it's not pleasant to, to have to think about, well, maybe, maybe I'm Ahab. It's easy for us to name the other Ahabs. If I asked you a, a top five list of the Ahabs of this world, I'm, I'm sure you could give me one. But what if, what if I'm Ahab? What if, what if I'm pushing God's blessings away because I've been trying to grasp it on my own too much? And I haven't been listening. I haven't been worshiping truly. And so some of us might need an Elijah in our lives to step up and say, hey, are you okay? Have you tried trusting God? Maybe don't be afraid today. Trust God. Stop this other pursuit. Maybe we've been thirsting for so much that we've been left empty in our lives. And so um, maybe that's where you're at 
And this season might just be a time where you reflect and say, God, what do I need to let go of? What do I need to realize I don't need? What do I need to be open-handed with today? Maybe, though, your story is Elijah's story. Maybe you're trying to follow God faithfully, and you're like, God, this is not necessarily what I thought I signed up for. We heard Stephen talk earlier of, God, I, I didn't think that I was supposed to do this thing. I didn't think that God was inviting me into this. But like, think about you if, if you're like, okay, I'm going to try to live for God. What's the first mission that you get that's notable? Go tell people a famine's coming. God, give me a better mission, please. And maybe we grumble and say, God, I'm not doing that mission. Give me a better one. But what is it to say yes to whatever God might say? As the Lord your God lives and speaks, yes. Okay, I'll pronounce famine when I need to pronounce famine. I'll pronounce blessing when I need to pronounce blessing. But it's up to God. It's not my thing. Because there's that temptation, just like the magic pot of it keeps making food. Elijah can be tempted to be the, I'm the magic man of God that, it's me. I get to make the blessings or the curses. But apart from your own desires, what is it to say yes to God? To say whatever God has for you to say. And that road is not always easy. We don't know how long he's living there being fed by birds in the story. That doesn't sound super cushy and, and, and fun. And in his story, he has to go to a foreign land and he ends up living at this house with this widow and her son for a while. And later in the story, he's going to, yeah, bring down fire and he thinks, oh, I'm great. And he's going to look at all these other prophets who, who he then realizes, like, am I alone? And Elijah's going to go running across a desert and looking for God and say, God, I'm the last one left. Can I just die? God was not done with them. God said, hey, actually, there's several thousand people in my, in my land who, who you are not alone with. Go back. And I've got a person, Elisha, I've got another prophet that I'm bringing up. Go mentor him. You're not alone. And so maybe you might need to see yourself as Elijah in the story. What has God been laying on your heart? Is there something you're supposed to do? Is there something you're supposed to say? Is it the thing you want to say or do? Or... Or do you know, oh God, I, I've got to figure out how to say yes to this. And so is there something that God is doing in your life that you need to accept? And knowing that success, how the world sees it, is not the same determination of whether you are rightfully following God. Because I'm guessing that success does not usually look like being fed by birds in the middle of the desert. But maybe today... You need to see yourself as the widow in the story. Maybe you've been counting the scarcity of whether it's, I've missed so many friends. There's so few of us left. And you just feel like, ah, I can't trust to try to make a new relationship. I can't go try to make new friends. Uh, I don't want to lose the ones that I have. Maybe I just can't open myself up. Or maybe it's, I've seen my bank account, I've seen the stock market, I've seen my 401k, or whatever it is, and you're like, oh, man, there's no chance that I'm going to be generous this year. 
Uh, and so maybe Christmas looks a little bit different. Maybe birthdays look a little bit different. And so we are counting every cent and just think, oh, there's just never going to be enough. But this story is a story in which generosity generates new life. This woman had enough to make her last meal. She can make her last meal and, and die and, and live out the plan that she thought was the, the one that was the day ahead of her. What is it to, to say, okay, I know that things seem limited, but I'm not going to go out of this world holding on tightly to everything that I have. If I'm going out of this place, I'm going out with open hands, blessing other people around me. How many of us truly want uh, to be the ones who leave behind the giant piles of stuff that your kids or grandkids have to decide what to do with at the end of our time, right? To make the, the kids, the grandkids feel ashamed of like, oh man, if she or he knew I was about to throw this in the trash. That thing that's your prized thing. But what's the point of holding on to every little thing if we cannot just find an opportunity to just bless somebody else and say, you know what, I have this thing, but I think you could use this. I think you would appreciate it. I think you would love this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have open hands today. And one of the things that I love in our community is that our invitation is not, hey, let's figure out how to be open-handed by, would you just feed me and then feed yourself? I love that we invite people to feed others. Say, hey, you want to come help us serve 100 guests, you can come by. We'd love to have you. But we promise you that if you spend the night being open-handed, you will leave feeling better, you will leave feeling loved, you will leave feeling with more possibility in your life than if you spent every moment trying to think of how do I pinch every single thing and hold on as tightly as I can and live for me as much as I can. And so in this story, Elijah blesses this family by inviting them to bless others. And you wouldn't think the culmination of this story is what happens after it. But after this story, the widow's son gets sick. And it seems like he's dying. And the widow comes to Elijah and says, Elijah, you said you're a man of God. Why are you doing this? Have you brought death on us? Have you brought judgment on us? Why on earth did you give us hope if we're just going to die? And we see the reality that's hitting her of, you know, I was preparing our last meal. I was preparing to die. But now that I've experienced what life looks like again, I can't lose this. How could I... How could this come now? And so Elijah goes up to his room, lays out there with him, and says, God, let your spirit enter into this boy. And he prays and he prays, and God heals the child. And so the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. The life of the child came into him again, and he revived. Elijah took the child, brought him down from the upper chamber into the house, and gave him to his mother, and Elijah said, see, your son is alive. So the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is 
truth. And wouldn't it be great to live abundantly with open hands, with generous spirits, so that we lived with a little bit of risk of like, I'm willing to trust, I'm willing to have faith, and I'm going to waver for a moment and think, oh no, what happens when I start to see it fall away? But like the story with the pot, the pot's not going to run dry until the rain comes. Can you trust in God even when things don't look like they're working out? Even when sickness comes, even when, when injury happens, even when things seem like they're failing, do you trust that God will bring life where you don't expect it? And so my hope for us as a community is that we might be people who live with open hands to each other, to our neighbors, to our friends, to our family, our coworkers, to people in our lives, that we might live with that generosity of spirit. And so uh, I want to say that, you know, we talked about the people with all the jets and stuff. Uh, we hope that you live that way. And we know that one of the ways that we can do that is through being financially generous and saying, hey, we want to help support keeping the lights on. We want to keep the air running. We want to, we want to keep the ministries going. We want the hygiene product pantry to still have its home here. We want the cafe to still feed people here. But it's not about us. And so I want you to know that my hope for each of you is that you find ways to be generous in your life, and that doesn't have to mean here. We believe what God is doing is bringing life here, and we want to support it and hope it thrives. But don't let, don't let us be in the way of thinking, oh, they just want my stuff. If you can just find somewhere in life to be generous, you will find life in that. And we think we've experienced that, and we live that each week, and so you're invited to help make that happen. And we, we were so excited about how the cafe's fundraising month went that, that people were so overly generous, and we are so grateful. But I do just hope that we might just say yes to being open-handed however God is calling us, wherever God is calling us. And so may we continue to find God's blessing, even when there's famines or feasts, May we be faithful, may we say yes to God and to his life. So would you join me in prayer? God, I ask that you might speak to us today, that the, your word might be heard. Even if it's unpleasant words at first sound, Lord, that the words we need are your words. There are some times where we need to be turned back to you. We need to realize that we've moved the wrong direction from you. And let your correction come as a welcomed pronouncement in our lives. Lord, help us to feel your presence and help us to feel the presence of others who also call you Lord. May we not feel alone in our faith journey. Lord, I ask that you might help us to find your feast in this world, physically, spiritually, emotionally. May we be a people that uh, get to celebrate and sing your praises because you bring your rain and your harvest. And Lord, for all those who feel on the mats, like that widow's son, 
We ask your spirit, your breath to just enter us, renew us, revive us, and to set us on fire with your hope and your love. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.